Good morning. Oh, I find a book here on my lectern. Does someone want me to preach from this book? This is a good book, but we're going to turn today. Actually, it's funny that that's here because I'd rather talk about this book than the chapter we're going to talk about this morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 9. 2 Kings chapter 9 and 10 are two chapters in the Old Testament that make our ears tingle. Your ears ever tingle? Yeah. Your ears tingle when you hear something you wish you didn't hear. Your ears tingle when you hear things that are terrible. I wish in some ways that 2 Kings chapter 9 and 10 never had to be written. That the events recorded in these two chapters never had to happen. Because it's terrible, terrible, terrible. Well, what am I going to talk about? Before we dig in, though, put a marker there in 2 Kings chapter 9 and 10. And turn with me over to another prophet, the prophet Isaiah. We're going to learn some things today about God. You say, this is Bible hour and we're learning from the Bible. Of course we're going to learn things about God. Yes, we're going to learn about God's justice, his righteousness, meaning that he does what is just and he does what is right. And we're going to learn about his mercy, his kindness, his goodness. In Isaiah chapter 55, we have a beautiful chapter about God's provision for the nation of Israel. And it's filled with wonderful promises. And it's also filled with some instructions. And I'd like for us to look at those instructions and look at those promises as we put this at the forefront of our minds before we go look back at 2 Kings 9 and 10 again. Look with me, Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Now what's all that mean? Well, every one of us like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. We do our own things. And many times we do it in disobedience to God. And this is a call to all people everywhere to seek God, to seek the Lord, to draw close to him while he is near, while he can be found. And the warning is given to the wicked. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from your wicked thoughts and turn to God. And by turning to God, you will receive mercy. What's mercy? Well, mercy is when we deserve to be punished for something, but we're not punished. We all deserve to be punished for our sins, for our wickedness. But when we seek the Lord and trust in him, we find mercy. In fact, that last phrase is a big, big legal word. He is one who, it says, abundantly pardons. He shows mercy and he will pardon abundantly. Well, a pardon is when someone has done something wrong, they've been brought before a judge, they've been found guilty, they admit their guilt, and the judge legally pardons them. Meaning that though they're guilty, and because they admit that they're guilty, 
And because they find favor or mercy, they are not punished for what they did wrong. And here it says that God is abundantly merciful. We're going to look back in 2 Kings chapters 9 and 10, and we're going to see the judgment of God. And you might say, well, where's the mercy? Well, that's the whole point. We have the whole family of Ahab who has continued and continued and continued going their own way, continued in sin, continued in wickedness, refused to turn from their wicked thoughts and their wicked ways. They did not seek the Lord while he was near, and they did not draw nigh to him. And time ran out. And judgment, righteous judgment, came. Sadly, we're going to find out that it came from a wicked man. But here he goes on, and he says in verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He's asking the people to change in their thoughts, to think like he does. Then look at verse 10. He uses an illustration. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it to bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that which goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. So he's got two illustrations here. Well, he's got one. He's got one illustration, and then he's making a point. The first is, how many of you have you seen rain fall from heaven? Some of you haven't seen rain. Charlie, have you ever seen rain fall from heaven? Yeah, rain falls from heaven. Does it just fall to do nothing? It's for a purpose, right? It falls to water the earth, and so that the earth will grow plants, right? It has a purpose. That's why the rain falls. God says that his words are the same way. When he speaks, it's for a purpose, and it will be accomplished. And here in the context of Isaiah 55, he is saying that I have promised mercy, and since I have promised that you can be sure it's real. Just like the rain comes down for a purpose to water the ground so that plants can grow and food can come forth, so when I speak, it's for a purpose. It will happen. Now, in this immediate context, it's a promise of mercy and blessing. But at the same time, this promise of mercy and pardon is here. So the, the, the contrasting reality is true. So will judgment. Judgment is punishment for sin. And it will go forth. And it will be accomplished. And so when we turn back to 2 Kings 9 and 10, we have some words of the Lord behind the scenes or that have already been spoken. And they're going to come, pass, come to pass today. Look at our timeline to see where we're at. Are we on this screen? Yes or no? No, we already know these kings and we're beyond Saul, David, and Solomon. What happened after Solomon died? Did the kingdom stay as one kingdom or two? Two kingdoms. What was the northern kingdom called? What was the southern kingdom called? Very good. And you see the two kingdoms here. Today we're learning about events that take place right here. Events that take place right here. Particularly in the northern kingdom, but parallel down to the southern kingdom as well. And why are they so closely connected? Well, that's because they're related. Again, just as a reminder, the colors are dynasties. The colors are families. And today we're going to learn about some things that were prophesied back before. Things that were prophesied way back here at the end of Baasha's reign. And things that were prophesied near the end of Ahab's reign. God spoke both these times, and you know what? Both of them came to pass. Well, that second one come to pass we're going to learn about today. But I said the northern and southern kingdom are related, and here is how. Judah is the southern kingdom, and the king's there, or the family there, and Israel's the green. And you see that we have 
Joram. And last week we learned that um, Joram is dead. And Ahaziah, you see there's two Jorams. Isn't this confusing? Really, this is printed out for you in your harmony. Take some time and, and, and study this because you go back and forth and you have to know. You have Joram of Judah and Joram of Israel and Ahaziah of Israel and Ahaziah of Judah. Do you see the connections all over? I don't know why they use the same names. It's really confusing. But here we've got Joram of Judah's dead. Joram of Israel died last week. He was murdered by who? Hannah? Jehu, that's right. We're going to learn more about Jehu today. And Ahaziah got wounded, but he is currently hiding in Samaria. He's run away and he's hiding in Samaria. So here's, here's how we see what's going on. Where we left off last week was with Jehu being anointed, and he comes from Ramoth-Gilead where there is a battle, and he comes from there on over to Jezreel. Yeah, you see Ramoth-Gilead over there on the right? And now we have Jehu coming from there over to the Summer Palace of Israel. And up here, not only is the Summer Palace of Israel, but I guess it's also a palace for the kings of Judah to come up and hang out with the kings of Israel. And that's exactly what's going on. And you remember that God said that he brought this to pass for the destruction of the king of Judah. So the king of Judah comes up from Jerusalem, which is one of the below the map, up to Jezreel to visit his uncle. And while he's visiting his uncle, you remember what happened, right? Jehu comes in, they go out to meet him, and the king of Israel is killed. The king of Judah is wounded. He flees down to Samaria, and um, now we have some events that are taking place up in Jezreel. And it's a fulfillment of something. Who prophesied that the family of Ahab would be destroyed? Who? Elijah did. And it was the Lord's word through Elijah, right? Remember it was spoken to Ahab there in that vineyard, Naboth's vineyard? There's not going to anyone survive. No male child of Ahab's family is going to survive. The dogs will look up their blood in this very vineyard. This is the very vineyard where last week we learned that Jehu killed his king, the king of Israel. And um, it was there in Ramoth Gilead that he was anointed by one of the servants. And they came riding furiously towards Jezreel. And the watchman was trying to see who it was. And turns out it's Jehu. But when they come out to meet him, that's when Jehu kills the kings. Well, he kills one of them, and he wounds the other one. And the other one, just to tell you a heads up, he hides in Samaria. Then he gets captured, apparently, again. But then he escapes again, apparently. It's not a lot of details given. It just tells us where he was wounded. Then it tells us that he was hiding in Samaria. And then it tells us later on that he was captured in Samaria. But then it also says that then he died in Beersheba. How that all fits together. In your harmonies, I've given you an explanation of a possibility. But um, he didn't die right on the battlefield. He had this extended time. And whether or not he actually died of his battle wounds or he died by assassins, we don't know. So Ahaziah of Judah is hiding in Samaria. But what happens up in Jezreel? Well, there is a famous person living in Jezreel. Do you know her name? She's the queen mother. Do you know her name? How many of you know who I'm talking about? Oh, some of you do. She was the wife of Ahab. How many of you know who that is? Oh, my, there's some people who don't know things. Whole row of Andorers don't know who the wife of Ahab is? Oh, good, they're starting to raise their hand. Yeah. Her name was what? Jezebel. Well, our actress for Jezebel is on vacation, but we have a substitute. Ironically, on this day, there's a substitute. So we have Jezebel. Now, Jezebel, you know who she is, right? Do I have to even remind you that she is a wicked, 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 wicked queen? I don't have to remind you. 
I apparently did because some of them over here didn't even know who she was. <laughs> she was a wicked queen. She also stirred up her husband to do wickedly, Ahab. And it was also prophesied that she would die. And so, here on this day, her son has been killed. Her possible grandson, or at least step-grandson, has been wounded. And she is in the royal palace. And do you know what she does? She doesn't go hide in the bunker. She doesn't go hiding and fleeing out with her grandson, the garden gate. No. You know what she does? She dresses herself up all fancy, and she painted her face. Apparently, she was ugly. <laughs> no, actually, I don't think she was ugly. That's, um, I, I think she actually used her beauty to manipulate people. I mean, she stirred up her husband Ahab. She's had major prominent influence over her sons who were kings, and she's had prominent influence over foreign kings. She is a wicked woman of power. Some people think that she's decked herself up here, and it's possible, somewhat speculation, that she's coming to somehow um, flatter Jehu, to, to somehow seduce him and, and to get him to be on her side. I mean, she's been used to being kingmaker and king controller for a long time. And so she comes and she has a question for Jehu. Now, where's Jehu? Where's Jehu? Jehu, where are you? Oh, yes, here's Jehu. Now, just a reminder, Jehu, he's this guy who drives his chariot furiously. And um, remember, everybody knows who Jehu is. Jehu was the guy who, yes, is the guy on the chariot coming in, but he was also there when Elijah told Ahab what would happen to his family. He was there. And so he's coming into Jezreel after having killed her son and wounded her grandson or step-grandson. And now he's coming into Jezreel. Hey, you guys want to go up and be her helpers, you three, you three her brothers or four brothers? You're her servants, you're her eunuchs. <laughs> and so they're the people who take care of her. She's got all these servants. Well, Jehu, she's all decked out, and she comes to the window, which was a high-up window, and she looks out as Jehu entered in at the gate. And as Jehu enters in at the gate, she challenges him with a question. Had Zimri peace? Ah, Zimri, who ruled for only seven days. Zimri, who was overthrown by my father-in-law. Had Zimri peace, who slew his master. Ah. Now, how many of you know exactly who Zimri is? A few of you. Oh, good. One of the Vanderers raised their hand. <laughs> Zimri. Well, perhaps we should go back and look on our timeline just so that you all can place this person. Here is our timeline. Do you see the, the, the leftmost yellow line? You see the black little line? That's Zimri. Zimri is the guy who came in, and he was a general. He was a general to Baasha and to Allah. And he comes in, and he murders Allah. He assassinates him, and he sets himself up as king. And he reigned for seven days. Meanwhile, two other generals, Omri, Omri and Timni, come and besiege the royal city. And this time, the royal city is at Tirzah. And when they besiege that city, do you know what Zimri does? How many of you remember what Zimri does? 
This is a pretty big deal. William, what did he do? He burned the royal palace down on top of himself. He lit the royal palace on fire and burned himself alive in it. And so Jezebel is recalling this event. Now, it's interesting. You know, I, it doesn't say that it, she's boasting of him as the one who her father-in-law overthrew him. But if she did, she'd be lying because he didn't really. Zimri overthrew Zimri. But she recounts this day. What prophet did Zimri, a general to his king, have who only reigned seven days? Did he have peace? She's wanting this guy to think about it. Because Jehu here, he's, he is the general to Ahab's family. He's a general just like Zimri. And so what's going to happen? Is he going to have peace? Well, if we come back and look here as Jehu has come in, he's right there and Jezebel challenges him. What did you ask him again? Had Zimri peace? Who is on my side? Who? Who's on his side? Well, you see these guys? They look through the window. They look through the window. And um, there were two or three. Oh, we got one too many. One of you has to go sit down. Oh, I'm surprised. I thought they would all be clamoring to be the one to go sit down. There were two or three eunuchs, and they looked out. And you know what? Apparently, they didn't have to say a word. It was clear that Jehu asked, throw her down. And so what did they do? <laughs> Just take her out the back way and throw her down. Now, in this particular day, they took her right off, and they threw her from that window. They threw her from that window, and Jehu in his chariot, there, he, he trod her underfoot with the horses. Her blood was splattered on the wall of Jezreel, fulfilling the prophecies of Jezebel. And so you know what he does then? He goes in, and he's going to eat, and he's going to drink. He's assassinated his lord, the king. He's wounded a foreign king, the king of Judah. And um, he is taking care of Jezebel. And so um, he sits down to eat and to drink. But he starts to think about it. Mm, Jezebel, she's out there still um, out at that wall. And, um, and um, she fell. And um, I think I won't show you that picture. She, she's trampled on their foot, and, and, and in the middle of their eating, they decide, you know, something ought to be done about this. It's probably not good for her to be left there at the, at the, at the wall of Jezreel, all trampled and mutilated. And so in the middle of their meal, apparently, Jehu issues the order. Go now. See now this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. And that indeed she was. She was actually a daughter of the king of Sidon. And so they went out to bury her. But you know what? They found no more of her than the skull and her feet and the palms of her hands. What had happened to her? Other servants, they came again and they told Jehu there's nothing but her skull and her hands and her feet. This is the word of the Lord. Which he spake by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, In the portion of Jezreel shall dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel. And the carcass of Jezebel shall be as dung upon the face of the field in the portion of Jezreel, so that they shall not say, This is Jezebel. Jehu remembers what he heard 
in the very vineyard of Naboth, the prophecy of what would happen to Jezebel. The words of the Lord have come to pass. But it hasn't fully been fulfilled. You see, the prophecy was what? Let's turn back and just read it. It's, I'll warn you, an ear-tingling prophecy. When Elijah showed up in that vineyard with Ahab, Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And Elijah answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and I will take away thy posterity, and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. And I will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin." And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dog shall eat. And him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. The history then goes on after this judgment is pronounced to say, But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. He continues on describing his wickedness. And you read this prophecy, and your ears tingle, and, you, and perhaps you probably sat up and said, oh, what did he just now say? In fact, some modern translations find it so difficult to translate it because of how explicit and blunt it is that they don't translate it. They change it up. In the Hebrew, it's the way I just now read it. It's very, very ear-tingling, and it was designed that way. God's point in it was to shake people, to wake them up, to, to make their ears tingle and say, what did I just hear? That was the whole point of it. Well, has it been fulfilled? Not quite. Ahab had 70 sons, 70 sons, and they're down at Samaria. 70 sons down at Samaria. And so... Jehu's got a plan. He's going to send a letter. He's going to send a letter to the elders, some of the royal people in Samaria. And you got some stuff to write this letter? Need a pen? Yeah, Jehu, he's going to write this letter. And um, what's in this letter? Now... As soon as this letter cometh to you, seeing your master's sons are with you, and there are with you chariots and horses, a thin city also in armor, look even out the best and meetest of your master's sons, and set him on your father's throne, and fight for your master's house. So, this letter is sent to Samaria. See Jezreel? 25 miles south to Samaria. And what's he basically telling them to do? Hey, you've got 70 prospects to be king. He's basically telling them, just in case you hadn't gotten the news yet, which they probably had, your king is dead. So you need to look out the best, the best of all the other 70 sons of Ahab and make them king. Oh, and as soon as you make him king, you have horses and chariots, right? Why does he bring up this horses and chariots? And why does he then say to fight for your master's house? Do you know what Jehu is saying? He's saying, make yourself a king and get ready to defend him because I am on my way to get you. And you're going to have to fight to defend your king and to defend yourselves. So make yourself a king and then defend your king. Oh, now, let's just imagine we have come back and we're back in, in Samaria. 
We're back in Samaria. Who wants to be one of these elders to get this letter? Oh, here's one of these elders to get this letter. He, he gets this letter. Here. Pick out 70 of them. Pick out one. And then, and then prepare to fight for this king of yours. Well, it wasn't just one of them. There were several elders here. I mean, it took a lot of people to take care of 70 kids. And they weren't kids anymore. They were grown men. Well, when this news comes, you know what the elders were? Afraid. And not only afraid, they were exceedingly afraid. And you know what they said? Two kings didn't stand before him. Did you hear that? Two kings didn't stand before Jehu. How are we going to stand before him? Now, I got a question for you. You guys know Samaria here. This is the strongest military fortress within the entire region. You've got chariots and you've got horses. Really? Well, keep in mind, Jehu is the general of the armed forces, now made himself king. Jehu knows everything about the insides out of Samaria, their water supplies. They know everything about that area. And so here this, here this is, and, 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 and they're afraid. And so he that was over the house and he that was over the city like the mayor, and, and the elders also, and the bringers up of his children, sent to Jehu. And listen, here's, here's the message they have. We are thy servants, and we will do all that thou shalt bid us. We will not make any king. Do thou that which is good in thine eyes. Did you hear it? The letter comes back. Jehu, here's the letter. We are thy servants, and will do all that thou shalt bid us. We will not make any king do that thou, which is good in thine eyes. So what does Jehu do? Ah, he writes another letter. <clears throat> If ye be mine, and if ye will hearken unto my voice, take ye the heads of the men your master's sons, and come to me in Jezreel by tomorrow this time. Ah, that sounds like a plan. Here, here's your letter. Take all the 70 sons of Ahab and, and bring their heads to him. Now, there's two ways of doing this. Isn't there? If I wanted to get your head 25 miles north, what's the two ways I could do it? Well, I could do it this way. Aren't you going to come? You're going to hurt yourself if you don't come willingly. I could drag this head 25 miles, but you know what? That's probably what they're going to do. They're going to sit there and not move. So, it's interesting how Jehu says this. Jehu just said, bring me the heads. He didn't say how. Well, you know what they do? Do you think they drag the guys with their heads attached? Nope. The elders went through and chopped off all of their heads. Put all of their heads in baskets and sent it back, sent it up the 25 miles to Jezreel. See why I told you I don't like this story? So baskets full of heads, I mean, 70 heads. Start counting the people around you. 70 heads. And so they take these all, and they bring them to Jehu. Well, they don't bring them all the way in. I mean, who would want to bring, who would want to bring 
70 heads into the summer palace of his majesty. So before they get there, a messenger, he comes and he reports to Jehu and, and, and he tells him. They have brought the heads of the king's sons. Lay ye them in two heaps at the entering and at the gate until the morning. And so that's what we do. We take these baskets of heads and we put them in two heaps on either side of the gate of the city. Now imagine, you're somebody who lives in the city and you go and you work outside the city and you're coming home from work and you see these two piles on either side of the city gates and you're like, what is that? And you keep getting closer and you keep getting closer and it's like... You figure out, they're on either side of the gate. You got to walk right between them. You walk through the gate, you get inside, and then the next morning you get up and you're going to go back out and work in the fields. You know, you have to walk past those two heaps of heads again. You see, this was not something that Jehu thought up of himself. He's a copycat. He had heard about the king of Assyria doing the same thing. The king of Assyria would trickery get the people to kill their rulers. And then he'd take their heads and he'd bring it to the next city and he'd just pile it up out on either side of the gates and leave. Because the simple dread and horror of two stacks of heads caused cities to surrender because it was basically a terror tactic. If you don't surrender, this is what I'm going to do to you, to the next city. And so cities would just surrender, surrender. They, they just would surrender. And so Jehu is doing this to strike fear and terror in all of the people of Jezreel. And that next morning, it came to pass that he went out and he stood and he said to all of the people, Ye be righteous. Behold, I conspired against my master and slew him. But who slew all these? Know now that there shall fall into the earth nothing of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spake concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord hath done that which he spake by his servant Elijah. What did you think of that speech? Hmm? What did you think of that speech? Well, he started it off by saying, Ye be righteous. He's telling all the people, You know what's right and wrong. You all know what's right and wrong. He says, Indeed. He confesses. I did. I did conspire. And I did kill my master, the king of Israel. I slew him. But who slew all of these? Do you know what he's inferring? It wasn't me. Do you see? Oh, but we have a letter that says that you called for their heads. Well, what could he say? I just asked for their heads. I didn't say whether it was attached or detached. You're righteous. You know. You can see what's right and wrong. And, oh, by the way, if this bothers you, these two heaps of heads, well, just so you all know, um, this is the word of the Lord falling unto the earth, and it's accomplishing in its will. For this is exactly what God said would happen to the house of Ahab by the word of Elijah. Now you might think, something strange about this speech. You'd be right. Do you know what Jehu is preparing to do? Jehu is preparing to go far beyond what God had said would happen. Okay, we read what God said would happen, and it caused our ears to tingle, right? 
And now I'm telling you that Jehu is about to go far beyond that. There's already been a massive amount of bloodshed. And by the way, righteously so. The house of Ahab was pervertedly wicked and evil. We find by comparing Scripture with Scripture that it wasn't just this judgment on Ahab who had already been dead for 15 years. This was a judgment upon these actual 70 sons who themselves, themselves were wicked men. And Jehu presents all of this in this big political speech because he is about to secure his kingdom with a bloodbath. He's not content to have just massacred the family of Ahab. He's going to go beyond it, beyond it. He begins to march south towards Samaria. Even though at Samaria, all the sons of Ahab are already dead. He marches south. And as he's coming to Samaria, he comes to um, a shearing house in the way. That's a place where they take and they shear the wool off of a lamb. And it's outside the city. And he comes there and he meets 42 brethren. 42 men. Now, who are these men? By looking at 2 Chronicles and 1 Kings, we find out that they are men from Judah that have nothing to do with the house of Ahab. They are simply coming up. By the way, their king is up here in the north. They don't know where their king is at. Their king is currently hiding in Samaria, which, by the way, the elders I don't think even knew. And they're coming up to visit the king and queen. 42. Apparently, there was supposed to be some kind of a feast or a celebration or a wedding. I don't know what it was. But 42 of the family of the king of Judah are coming up north to visit the king and queen. Is it their own king and queen or is it the friendly neighborly king and queen? Don't know. But they're on their way up to visit. And they meet Jehu. Anybody want to be one of these 42 men? Nobody wants to be a representative? I know why. You just now heard me say that there was going to be a bloodbath. Well, just imagine 42 men. I'll do the speaking part. We meet. We meet Jehu. And Jehu asks us. Who are you? We are the brethren of Ahaziah. And we go down to salute the children of the king. And the children of the queen. Take them alive! And so all 42 of us get arrested. He says, take them alive. And they took them alive. And slew them at the pit of the shearing house. Even two and forty men, neither left he any of them. These are not of the house of Ahab. These are of the dynasty of David. He's gone beyond massacring into the house of David. And so he keeps on going. And he meets a very famous man. How many of you know the name? Know the name Jehonadab? Know the name? He's, he's famous because he and his father had given special instructions to their family, and those instructions were followed up. And for hundreds of years, they followed those special instructions of their father and were spared judgment in years to come. They were known as very spiritual men. So here they are coming to Samaria, and, and Jehu finds this Jonadab. Are you going to be Jonadab? And when he sees them, they're riding along. He's in this chariot coming right on into Samaria. And um, Jehu, Jehu asks him, Is thy heart right as my heart is with thy heart? It is. If it be, give me thine hand. Now what's this exchange? They're basically saying, are we friends? Are we in agreement? And so... They gave one another each other's hands. And you know what? 
They climb up in the chariot together. Climb up into the chariot together. They've joined hands. And listen to what Jehu says to him. Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. Mm. Do you hear that? Come with me and I'm going to show you how on fire I am for God, the Lord. So they ride on into Samaria. And there he slew all that remained of Ahab in Samaria, which would have been in fulfillment of the prophecy, till he had destroyed him according to the saying of the Lord, which he spake to Elijah. But now he's going to go on and beyond that. But he's going to do it in a different way. He's going to have zeal for the Lord. But it's interesting how he does it. Disregarding the truth that Solomon had written, that six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination, and one of them being a lying tongue, Romans chapter 3 speaks of those who speak lies, judgment falling upon them. He's going to come and show them the zeal. So he gathers all the people together. And he says this. Ahab served Baal a little. But Jehu shall serve him much. Now, therefore, call unto me all the prophets of Baal and all his servants and all his priests. Let none be wanting, for I have a great sacrifice to do to Baal. Whosoever shall be wanting, he shall not live. Hmm. He just now told the spiritual leader in Israel, come with me. See my zeal, my fire for the Lord, that is Jehovah. And then he comes and he says, Ahab served Baal a little. I'm going to serve him a lot. He's lying. The truth of the matter is he's doubly lying because his zeal is not for the Lord. His zeal is for his political security. How do I know that? Well, we'll have to keep reading. So here this plan is. So it tells us that he did this subtly to the intent that he might destroy the worshipers of Baal. So all the people gather together. Jehu makes this proclamation. Proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. A solemn assembly for Baal. A solemn assembly for Baal. Come, come to the solemn assembly for Baal. And so it came. All the people came. They came together into the worship place of Baal to offer sacrifice. And we're all out of time. So what's going to happen? Well, you'll have to keep reading. And you'll have to come back next week. But I want you to ask yourself this question in this week. And I want you to seriously evaluate, particularly verses 29 through 31. And I also, please, the family Bible readings that are in the email week every, the email every week there, download those and find this chapter if you aren't already doing those. And do especially the one relating to this chapter. There are some things and lessons to be learned here. Of Jehu, the one who is moving in political strategy. He's lying. He's using deception. He's using the name of God. In fact, he's using the name of God in vain. He's acting as if it's zeal for the Lord. But it's really not. If we compare Scripture with Scripture, I'll just give you a little bit of a heads up. In several years, another prophet is going to rise in Israel named Hosea. You heard of him? He wrote one of the books of the Bible. Hosea. And in the very early parts of Hosea, Hosea has a little boy. And do you know what they named that little boy? Jezreel. 
And do you know why? So that that little boy would be a sign against the house of Jehu for the innocent blood shed at Jezreel. Sign of judgment this child would be. These chapters are fascinating, and there's a lot there. But one of the struggles, remember how we began there in Isaiah 55? The word of the Lord will not return void. Let me ask you this question. We've seen a lot of judgment, horrible judgment. You know, there's other descriptions of judgment prophesied in the Bible that has to do with us. A judgment described as a lake of fire, a place of darkness, everlasting torment. Hell. Prepared for the devil and his angels, but all who have not had their name written in the book of life will be cast into that lake of fire. God has said it. It will happen. Just as God said this with Ahab, and it is happening. But at the same time, he is true in his words of judgment. He is also true in his words of mercy. So how do you get your name written in the book of life? He's told us how to do that too. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. We're all sinners. Jesus, the eternal son of God, was born as a son of man. He lived a perfect and sinless life and then he died for you and me. And then he rose again so that everyone who trusts in him, believes in him, can have everlasting life. And just as the word of the Lord will be true in judgment, so will the word of the Lord be true in mercy. So this morning, if you're terrified and your ears tingle with the judgment, rejoice in the mercy and trust God. That's the important part of all of this. When our ears tingle at the judgment, let us turn our focus to what God has done to show us mercy. Great God, we thank you for your word. Help us to grapple with, to deal with, to think through these difficult passages and difficult history, but help us to learn from it. And may it drive us to you in praise for your mercy, which you poured out upon us. For indeed, you abundantly pardon and show mercy. And we give thanks for that this day as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please don't forget to read those family Bible readings and do that this week. Prepare for next week. Thank you so much.